Welcome to Health System CIO's interview with Anthony Longo, VP and Chief Information Security Officer with Baptist Health South Florida. I'm Anthony Guerra, founder and editor-in-chief. Anthony, thanks for joining me. Thank you, Anthony. I appreciate the time. Happy to be here. That's a lot of Anthony's. I think we both said Anthony about six times there, but I guess that's the way it goes. That's it. You can put Anthony squared in the title. (laughs) All right. Look forward to chatting. You want to start off, tell me a little bit about your organization and your role. Sure, sure. Um, You know, so as as you said, I am VP and Chief Information Security Officer of Baptist Health South Florida. So um, we are a large not-for-profit healthcare system based in the South Florida region, uh, in the Miami area mostly. Um, you know, it's a very significant size organization. Uh, we are in the middle of a massive digital transformation, really focusing on bringing out best-in-class technology as it relates to clinical healthcare um, and, and how we interact with our patients. And with that comes the security and the need for security and best-in-class security as a part of that program. You know, so it's been a, a great first year here at Baptist, um, you know, really just um, a time to invest in the program and, and, and continue to expand our capability and the people process and technology. And uh, just having a lot of fun. Excellent. Okay, so uh, I like to ask all CISOs how they wound up where they are. Uh, how did you wind up in security? How did you wind up in healthcare? Uh, the whole thing. So that's a that's a fun question. You know, I always make the joke. So I'm in year 23 of my career, majority of it being in security. And I always joke that if you found me in the late 90s in a data center and told me that I would be sitting in boardrooms talking about information security to some of the strongest leaders in the country, I would say uh, you, you were crazy, um, but here we are and here it is. Nobody knew that security would be so critical as a part of the digital transformation of you know, our industry as it is today. So I started out just like everyone else, right? I was an engineer. I started in a help desk and desktop support, network engineering, server engineering. And then somewhere around 2002, 2003, I made the decision to, uh, to do some work in security. I had an interest in it. So it was really just working in AV and anti-spam. It was very early days in security back then. You know, early days of PIX firewalls, ASA firewalls, and Trend Micro, whatever. Uh, went to work for an antivirus company, and then the, the rest of the story is itself. The majority of my career has been in retail and hospitality. Um, that has been my primary focus as Chief Information Security Officer. But um, I'm really, really excited uh, to take something new, a new challenge, right? Healthcare is at the front lines right now of attacks uh, across the globe. You know, we're seeing threats against critical infrastructure day after day and uh, healthcare being one of the most targeted sectors. So to take the experience we've learned from retail and hospitality and the breaches of you know, the late 2000s and 2010s around payment, we can really take the opportunity to take those learnings and bring them to healthcare. So it's been an exciting opportunity when the opportunity arose and I heard what Baptist Health South Florida was doing in terms of digital transformation and the support from the executive team for that type of a transformation, both from digital and security. Uh, it was a really exciting fit and, and here I am. So uh, a couple of things I'd like to go into there. Number one, you talked about the transition from the data center to the boardroom that you made. Uh, what would your advice be to those that are still in that data center level, have aspirations to get into the C-suite? Um, what are the core skills that they're going to need to have to develop? Obviously, you developed them. Um, it, I mean, the, core, the core was in you, and you developed them. Um, but what's your advice for those folks that think they want to wind up where you are? I think there's um, there's a good mix of technical and soft skills that are required. You know, I often joke with my team, don't give me privileged access to anything. Chances are these days I'll break it. 
Um, you know, to, to be a good CISO, I think you have to have a wide breadth of knowledge of all of our domains. And now, let's make no mistake, information security is a very, very large program today, whether it's supporting infrastructure, application, governance, compliance, regulations, whatever it may be, right? We have to know about everything that is going on in the organization when it has a technology or regulatory impact. At the same point, you have to surround yourself with the best talent that really can deep dive in those areas. You know, we can often say that if we have to talk about DevSecOps as a part of a digital transformation and how we integrate security into those development processes, am I the person that's going to go in and, and you know, actually implement, you know, a, a vaulting platform or, or a, you know, static code analysis or whatever it may be? No, of course not. But you have to still understand all those core concepts as a CISO to be a part of architectural reviews, project discussion, you know, major strategic discussion. So one thing I would say as a CISO is never stop learning. Um, you, you have to constantly stay on top of the industry. It's not like you get to the C-suite and then you can say, hey, I don't have to worry about technology anymore. That's just not how it works these days. Hmm. You, have to, you have to know a little bit about everything that is going on in your organization and everyone else's. At the same point, you have to surround yourself with really good talent that can then drive your initiatives and your strategic plan in those areas. I often say, you know, we are 10 miles wide and 10 feet deep as CISOs, and then you want really strong leaders that are mm-hmm. 10 feet wide and 10 miles deep on your leadership team, right? So that, that's kind of how it works. On the other side is the soft skills. You have to be able to communicate with business leaders across the enterprise or clinical leaders in the healthcare space that may not be technology experts or may think they're technology experts and aren't. And you have to be able to convey with confidence and in you know, language that is understandable, true risk to the organization and why they are real risk. So there's a lot that goes to that. A lot of it comes with experience and practice, just feeling confident in a meeting room and, and being okay with saying, hey, this is what we're doing. This is why we're doing it. And this is why it's important. And then having the understanding, knowledge, and the evidence to back that up. But also as you grow through your career, and, and even if you're early in your career and you're still in college or, or education, you know, speaking classes, speaking engagements, volunteering in your community, those are all ways to get yourself used to public speaking. And that's what you need to do when you're in a boardroom with, you know, 12 board members, outside auditors, legal counsel, and whatever else is in the room. It's not a small room. Usually when it's the boardroom, you know, you have to really feel confident and be articulate in your delivery. So that would be how I'd say that. Say one, stay strong technically, but you don't have to go 10 miles deep. You just need to understand and stay on top of the industry, the threats, the research, transformation, not just in security, but across technology. And then on the soft skills guys, excuse me, soft skill side, it's practice, 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 confidence, and then just know your delivery mechanisms and how to deliver your message right to your audience. Right. And that's a question of knowing what the individuals care about that you're in the room with, right? They don't care about, as so you. it's almost like you said, you don't have to know the 10 miles deep in every area. Well, they're not interested in going 10 miles deep in security, right? They care about you know, patient care, the, the organization operating, making sure they don't have a month of downtime. So you need to present what you're doing in, in language that's meaningful to them. Tell me a little bit more about that. I'll tell you what the best language is. The yeah. best language is numbers, metrics, quantifiable views of the status of your organization. <clears throat> when I say to uh, an executive team or the board that we have an EDR, an endpoint protection platform across the enterprise, that's great. We went out and spent a million dollars on a product. But how do I prove that it's effective? Well, I prove that's effective by proving that here's my asset inventory and here's proof that my coverage matches within five nines or whatever the threshold is for your organization on your KRIs and KPIs that we meet those expectations. 
right? Because they understand numbers. They understand thresholds. They're not going to understand what an EDR versus an XDR versus traditional AV is, but they will understand when you say we have bought a best-in-class solution and it's covered 99.99% across the enterprise because we're constantly transitioning assets, right? So that's what I would say is one, use words and language that they understand. And metrics is one of the best way to do that. Two, you know, it does, you don't have to go in there and be fancy. Forget the acronym. That that mm. forget acronyms is the worst thing you can do. And it goes <laughs> both ways. Honestly, in healthcare, there are a lot of acronyms in healthcare. And as a technology specialist, as opposed to a healthcare specialist, sometimes I get lost in the acronyms. You know, all these committees and all these different medical procedures and whatever it may be. So I would say avoid the acronym, keep it simple, and make sure that you're really clearly stating what you want to say. And lastly, just don't go over the top. Not too many words. Make it a conversation. Make it feel like it's back and forth. Let them ask questions. Don't be there to lecture. Don't be there to just deliver a spiel and run out the door. Ask them their questions. What do you think about what I'm saying? Don't fill your PowerPoint with a thousand words. You know, make it short, sweet, and make it a conversation so that they can help drive the conversation to what they want to hear if you don't know what they want to hear. And like you said, you have to be prepared in your presentation. Your numbers have to be right on because these are smart people. If there's a mistake in there, if there's a hole there, they're going to point it out. And once they once they see it, you know, oh, oh, yeah, you're right. That doesn't make sense. You're done. Your credibility shot. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. There's nothing worse than showing one slide on slide yeah. two says this metric and then yeah. slide eight says this metric. So you go, but I thought you said that right there. That is not a good thing. And then you're done. Um, so really, met but metrics are really valuable way to quantifiably prove the effectiveness of your organization. And that's how they say they prove to me your organization works. And I don't think of a better way to do it than metrics. Let's talk a little bit about you coming uh, from outside healthcare, um, the benefits and the learning curve. And I think anyone would admit there is both. Um, we, everyone says healthcare is 10, 15, 20 years behind other industries, which means you come in uh, knowing, so, you know, comfortable with certain technologies that maybe healthcare hasn't implemented yet. But healthcare is a very unique animal. So there's some things you have to get up to speed on. Acronyms we mentioned. Uh, understanding the unique power politics inside of healthcare. Um, so talk to me about that, That uh, again, the, the benefits and the challenges, the learning curve of coming in. Yeah, absolutely. I would say that there, there's, there's great benefit to going outside the industry, right? If you're, if you're ingrained in one industry, you've only looked at it at one lens. Mm -hmm. So when I talk about retail and hospitality and you think about all the payment card breaches, you know, starting around you know, around 2010, 2012, you know, the big ones, and I don't want to name retailers that have been through it, but we know, you know, that was the start of a massive investment in security and maturity in that industry. And if you are a part of that industry, you've lived through that in multiple iterations of those program rebuilds, maturity programs, getting in boardrooms, maybe for the first time and having to explain to the board what we're doing, why we're doing it, and why we need investment. And you really learned a lot. And you could take those learnings every step of the way. And now here we are with another industry, healthcare, which we started receiving major threats in 2019 about possible concerns for the industry. Well, we've been through it. We've been through the major breaches from the other side of the world in retail and other areas of whether it's finance or, or government. So by taking people from other industries, you can then leverage those learnings to help build programs the right way. At the end of the day, a framework is a framework. Whether I'm following NIST or ISO, or if I'm going to worry about high trust or whatever it may be, right? At the end of the day, they all map. Right. To build a mature program with a framework, I can map any program to any number of frameworks. There may be some minor nuances, minor differences, but at the end of the day, a program is a program. The second half of your question then is, 
what about me now coming from, you know, another industry into healthcare and going, I don't know anything about healthcare. I've mm-hmm. never worked with a doctor. You know, mm-hmm. I sold chicken or I sold, you know, rings. Um, you would say, again, surround yourself with the right talent. So I have really, really strong leaders that have been in healthcare for 10, 20 plus years that can then be there for me to lean on when I have a question about healthcare specific processes or regulations. So you take the knowledge of previously building large scale best in class security organizations mixed with talent that has been in a specific healthcare institution or the industry for long term. And now you have a team that can deliver it right. So I have a funny question just occurred to me. So I assume in your other positions, you've been yelled at on occasion by users, high-powered users, people that are very influential and important that uh, in the old days probably went into your office and started yelling. Has that ever happened? More than once. And it <laughs> okay. still happens whenever it is. That's just part of the job, right? right. You know, there, there's so much to being a security professional, and there's many different types of CISOs, and that's a whole nother conversation for another day. I have always been a business-focused CISO, right? The idea is our security organization does not exist without the business. Right. If the business isn't there and doing its job and delivering to patients or selling product or whatever it may be, I don't have a program anyway. So you have to be supportive of your business. So one of my core risks to the board is about secure business enablement. How are we supporting business transformation through secure technology? So whether that's supporting digital transformation and supporting agile methodologies and DevSecOps and integrating security into that agile lifecycle, whether that's supporting all the need for many, many different types of medical devices and vendors, which is something unique to healthcare that I haven't seen before, and understanding how we build those standards and assess those vendors and put controls around what they do. Whatever it is, we want to reduce the impact we have while ensuring secure. I often say we are not allowed to be slow and we are not allowed to say no. It has to be really agreeable like for that. us to say no, right? Wow. That's it. That's, that's it. really you know? good. Yep, that is exactly it. And if you read my mission statements and every job I've ever been, we always use the word frictionless, right? What we do, we want to be frictionless. We do not want to introduce friction into the, the processes of our clinical organizations here in healthcare or in any other industry you're in. Now, I will say that, is it always perfect? Of course not. But that is the goal of the organization. Support business enablement through secure business enablement, and you'll win those partnerships. When you get those escalations, assess the risk. What is the true risk? of the organization. Okay, it's running an unsupported operating system, but it has no network connectivity. Okay, it's a standalone device. It doesn't plug into the network. It's never going to plug into the network. You know, that's something we can document, talk about, log an exception. Now, if it's something that talks to the internet or whatever, it's, it's a different risk, right? And you have to talk to the vendor and work it out. So at the end of the day, I would say that you really, really need to be there to support your business, but convince them. And as I do rounds with the CEOs of our hospitals and of the operational sides of our business, we say, look, we are here to support business enablement through secure business enablement. And there are great opportunities in security to do that and make life better. A great example is identity and access management. Identity and access management is traditionally a security function. There are ways where you can improve security with things like password lists, biometrics, whatever it may be. So it improves security maturity while also increasing the streamlined procedures and the speed of logon for our users. Mm-hmm. Right. So you're you're twofold. I'm getting more security out of my system, but I'm also making life better for my users. So at the end of the day, I think, yes, you absolutely. I still to this day get escalations on email every week and every day and whatever it may be. And sometimes it's a mistake. Sometimes it's somebody doesn't like a change because nobody ever likes change. 
um, whatever it may be. But then at the end of the day, the conversation is the business is here. We don't exist without the business. Support your business. Support it through secure business enablement. Try to avoid friction wherever possible. Try not to say, you know, you can't do that. Help them find ways to do it the right way and securely, and you'll win partners and you won't have those yelling experiences anymore. Very good. Um, I was thinking as you were talking about a, a passive versus active CISO approach is, is came into my head. And I wonder, you know, there are a lot of things that come at you in terms of this department wants this new application. So, okay, we need to vet it. We need to put it through third party. Things coming at you. Um, that's sort of a passive approach as things are coming at you. Um, an active approach might be uh, going out into the enterprise and actively assessing the state of things um, and seeing what's going on. Is that is that two ways to look at it? And I spoke to a CIO the other day, and we talked about the the different ways to approach that job in terms of um, dealing with requests from the business versus going out to the business and making suggestions actively making suggestions. Hey, did you know this is out there? This is out there. So is the CISO role the same way in that there's passive stuff, things coming at you, and then active you going out? There's two sides of it, right? So there's the CISO role where you do deal with that, right? I sit in every executive strategy meeting, whether it's um, technology executive committees or business executive committees. So I know what's going on in the organization, and that's the passive side, right? Then I can be responsive. And then people are also proactive and reach out and say, Anthony, we're looking at doing these things. You know, who do I need to talk to? What do I need to do with this? So that's one thing on the CISO role. If you have the size organization to do it, though, there, you know, finance has done it forever with BISOs and TISOs, right? But even in, in traditional smaller organizations outside of finance, you know, you have architecture functions that you can ingrain security specialists that are focused on business technologies into those other teams. So let's say it's in healthcare, you could say that I'm going to have, you know, architects that specialize in certain clinical technologies or architects that specialize in ERP and operational functions, right? And you can integrate them. And I've done that in the past where they go to their staff meetings and are regular parts of the conversations and are almost an extension of their team from security to, again, go back to what we talked about a minute ago, secure business enablement, right? That is the goal at the end of the day. So I would say that it's a mix, right? It is, you need to have your eyes and ears open at all times for what's going on because there is a problem with shadow IT in every industry. Things happen without our knowledge, right? We need to know what's going on, whatever we can, however we can, and, and try and stay on top of it through education, policy, process, and being present. The other half of it is, is if you can leverage your team to go through and try and ingrain into everything else that's going on in your world, in, in the organization, in the world. So, you know, if you can have an architect that is, or, or whatever you want to call the role, an ISO, it doesn't matter. But the point is, is someone who understands technology as a whole, right? Whether it's different network communication platform, whatever it may be, and can go in there and say, look, we're, this is the ops team. They're doing ERP. They're upgrading an HR system. They're doing whatever they're doing. You know, we're there to give standards and guidelines about doing it securely as far left as possible so that there are no problems when we get ready for production deployment. So I think it's a mix of both. And I think it's some work of the CISO and in our organizations, building a proper um, mature organizational structure, you really need a team that is focused on supporting everything else. If you are going to focus on business enablement, which I believe is a, a board level risk. So you mentioned you've done that in the past, embedding individuals, uh, security individuals into different teams, operational teams. Do you think you might do that here? 
I would like to. Right now, I do have a team of architects. They're not embedded directly into the teams, but they are a team, a, a pool that can go through and be reached out to in any way that have their different specialties. Some are better at compliance. Some are better at cloud. Some are better at, you know, traditional infrastructure. Um, I don't know if we're able to be big enough as some of the larger Fortune, you know, 100, 200 organizations to have dedicated security architects to an ops team, a digital team, um, an app team, whatever it may be. Um, but I do think that's the ideal goal if you can get there. You like um, that. That's the I best do practice. Like that. And, and, yeah. and I'm not going to say, and for anyone reading or watching or whatever it may be, I'm not going to say that's the right way. That's just the way I've had success. Okay. Everybody has their ways to approach. I feel that if you want to be a business enabling CISO, you need to have representatives from your organization ingrained in those businesses. You mentioned the term business enabling CISO a couple of times. I mean, is there any other way to be successful than to be a business enabling CISO? Sure. What's the what's the other kind? Sure. There's there's very by the book stuff. There's, okay. you know, there you could be in regulatory, you could be in military, you could be in, in many things that are much more focused on on strict, 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 strict. This is it, this is it, this is it. But when you are in the business side of of security, um, you know, executive leadership, you know, you have to balance the business needs, the risks associated with those business needs, the threat landscape, the true risk to your organization, there could be a critical zero day that is a CBSS 10, but if it doesn't impact me or, or if I don't have those versions of that software, then it's not as big of a risk for me, right? So you have to assess mm. in this enterprise, in order for your business to perform and make money, and be here yeah. to, pro, to, to pro pay for our organization to exist or for technology transformation to happen, you have to balance risk, real risk, critical risk. Whereas maybe other industries that are heavily targeted in military at war, state, state action, you know, state sponsored activity, they may just be, look, here's policy. There's no other way. <laughs> we have air gap networks. You have no choice. That's it. So there are other ways, I would say, Anthony, but there are, in, in those of us that are on the business side of security, you know, you really have to support the business or you're going to fail as a CISO. Yeah, I mean, it's it's a great point. Um, you can't be super risk averse as a CISO because you'll you won't empower the business. The business won't be able to operate if you want a, a risk level so low that they can't do anything or or users. You have to put, you know, it, they can't function because they have to keep logging in or they, as you mentioned, you have to empower the users. You have to accept a certain level of risk, but you're not deciding on that level, right? You're describing the risk level and the implications and putting it in business terms and saying, what do you want to do? Absolutely. If a yeah. business owner makes a request and we have a real big issue with the request, which is very, very rare that we can't come to terms with the business owner and a vendor or whatever it may be then it is not on me to make that decision. I am not the business. My job is to assess risk, identify risk, and put it out there to be decided on, and then document the decision. I right. So we, we take that up to the executive team and say, look, this team wants to do this. I think it's a terrible idea because of this. And we have gone round and round for three months with the vendor or whatever it may be, and they won't do it. And at the end of the day, we are at an impasse. And it's very, very rare that happens, but it does happen. Right. And then the business has to decide, is it worth the risk? And yeah. then it is up to us to do our best to mitigate that risk as much as possible if they do choose to move forward against that risk. And I've heard the word you used uh, from other CISOs I've interviewed in this same scenario, which is document. <laughs> if they want to do it, if you said you're not like it and they want to do it, document, document, document. 
it's not even about, you know, taking care of, of ensuring you're covering <laughs> yourself, but more about having a proper governance risk and compliance right. program, right? All of your exceptions should be documented and approved properly. This should be a, a documented risk. What is the risk? What is the, the policy it's going against? What is the exception asked? How long is the exception good for? Is there a remediation plan? Have the business owner sign off, the CISO sign off, and then the yeah. ultimate executive that made the decision. Right. right. So you're not gonna you're not doing it like an email. I'm just saying from a you know a governance perspective, you want right. to make sure you document those exceptions. Right. And and it may be the right decision for the organization. That's why it gets kicked to the higher ups and somebody who's got it's just like in a military, right? It keeps going up. The, the the person has a wider and wider view as you go up. And that individual with the widest view may say, based on all the information, we will go forward and accept this risk. Okay. Yeah. Right? I yeah. mean, that, that's how it's got to work. It, it could be a niche product, niche product. It could be like that, right? One, one company in the whole world that does it, and they know they're the one company, and they refuse to adhere to industry standards around security. You know, so you have to document that they will not follow our standards, contractual standards, and they've redlined them and whatever it be, but we still need to do that procedure. And then we're going to say, okay, well, we're going to enclave it. We're going to try and reduce its network exposure. We're going to, you know, segment it, whatever we're going to do on and on mm -hmm. and on. Right. But at the end of the day, somebody has to accept that risk and it's not the CISO. Right, right. Let's talk a little bit about shadow IT, which you mentioned, which uh, is a big problem. And uh, when I hear people talk about it, it's very interesting. It's it seems like it should be easier to solve, uh, but it doesn't seem it's not that way. Why is it so tricky to just put in a few governance processes, maybe through purchasing or legal or all the places something is going to have to eventually go? Why isn't it easier to stop all shadow IT? Well, we can stop all shadow IT, but that would not go over very well, right? I mean, there, there, there are ways to monitor, and I hope people do look at shadow IT and, and keep an eye on it and block certain types of shadow IT. But at the end of the day, I mean, that was a joke, by the way. At the end of the day, I would say, I would say that there's two reasons, right? Um, one, process is difficult, right? People don't understand process. People don't want to follow process. People don't know how to do things. When you join a new company, I don't know who, how requisitions go. How do I add a new vendor? How do I add a contract? How do I negotiate redline? Who do I send to procurement, to legal, to supply chain, to whatever it may be, right? You don't know. Um, so I think that's one issue is, is process is always an issue. And then two, I needed it yesterday. Always the issue. I needed it yesterday. I have this urgent, urgent need. And I need it yesterday. And I need, I need it right now or we're going to lose millions of dollars. And I needed it yesterday. And we don't have time to negotiate security. And we don't have time to do architecture review. And we don't have time to stand up secure servers. And it's going to be a SaaS application. And we're not going to integrate identities. And we're going to blah, 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 blah. We need it yesterday. We need it now. And if we don't do it now, we're going to lose all this money. We're going to get fined and, and on and on. And that, that is just always the other excuse. Um, so how do you stay on top of it? Exactly what you said. You have to build processes that are easy to understand, easy to find, and easy to follow. Um, you know, and that's, that's a work in progress everywhere you go. I'm not going to say there's any silver bullet. Mm -hmm. um, it, it, is, it is not easy. Um, you know, but if you can put those processes in place and you can get those processes followed, then you can have your risk management teams do those assessments against software, right. against vendors to make sure that it's not shadow IT and we're taking care of our business. But at the end of the day, Shadow IT is a problem. There is definitely shadow IT in every enterprise. Mm -hmm. You know, you do your best with, with different types of, you know, cloud gateways and whatever you can to reduce your shadow IT exposure as much as possible. Um, but at the, at the end of the day, you know, we have to do what we can to support our business. Well, there's going to be different levels in different organizations. So you, I guess you could say, uh, you could look at your shadow IT, maybe get some sense of what's going on and say, based on my experience in other jobs, you could say, this is reasonable. 
it's we don't love it, but it's a reasonable level. Or you could go into an organization and you say it's totally out of control here. I've never seen so much shadow IT. So that's a you could be at different ends of the spectrum, right? Yeah, that goes back to our conversation before. I imagine the um, the Pentagon does not want shadow IT, right? <laughs> um, you know, whereas uh, you know in in our industry maybe there is a need for you know brochureware or non sensitive data PHI being you know being used on services that are not using sensitive data. You know, those are things we we are not as worried about because we're always focused on critical risk, critical system, you know, that type of data. So I would say, yes, you know, again, it's, it's based on your business. You have to assess the risk of your organization, what you do, and what the tolerance is for your organization. Different organizations have different tolerances. Some people want to be more strict and some people don't. And that's just something, you know, as a CISO, you have to learn as you work with your executive teams. Right, right. All right, I'm going to ask you an open-ended question. Um, what are either the couple, an interesting trend or two that you're looking at that you want to make your colleagues aware of? Maybe they're not quite looking at it yet, or or you think this is something really important, or one or two things you're working on. Take it in either either direction. Um, I will talk about what is is scaring me in the future and what I'm talking about. How's that? Um, I will say that we know that ransomware is a discussion everywhere, right? Many many industries we see, um, you know, in social media. I track every morning when I wake up. You ask about being a CISO. Every morning when I wake up. I go on social media and I look at researchers in Europe and Asia because that's how I get the quickest information while I'm drinking my coffee of what's going on in the world. Is there a zero day? Is there a new threat? Is there a major attack going on? Whatever it may be. Um, so I would say that that's really critical. Um, ransomware has obviously been something big and we've seen ransom attacks against critical infrastructure, you know, the pipelines, the healthcare, whatever it may be. And it's, it's led to either major impact. We've read about companies losing their EMR for months. We've read about companies losing their EMR permanently. That's one side of it. We know about that servers and workstations and, and whatever it may be. Um, you know, but we got some information from, you know, the, the Department of, of, of Health and Human Services last year about concerns about medical devices. And that is something that has really stayed at the, at the, at the forefront of my mind as the FDA is now looking to draft stronger requirements around medical devices and security. The guidelines that are in place today are, are not that strong uh, and they're guidelines. Right. There, there's not a lot pushing the vendors other than the vendor's desire not to be in the news and to be secure to secure their medical devices that are operating in our environment. I often say to our vendors, if there is a breach as a result of your connectivity on your medical device on my network, it's not going to be vendor's breach. It's Baptist's breach. Mm -hmm. It doesn't matter how it happened. It's mm -hmm. my breach. And mm -hmm. I'm the one that's going to have to deal with it and deal with the litigation and the media and everything else. So vendor devices and medical devices are a huge, huge concern to me as we look at the large number of healthcare devices out there that are running old operating systems, unsupported operating systems, being unpatched, not following patching guidelines, not running latest, best, you know, next generation controls, such as endpoint protection or segmentation or whatever it may be. Now, there are ways you can work with your vendors to put those things in place. And I highly encourage anyone watching this in the healthcare industry to start drafting stronger language with their vendors, start enforcing that language and, and negotiations with their vendors. Not every vendor is gonna come along, but you'll be surprised. Many vendors will. There are many vendors that are willing to work with you and take your controls if you feel that you have industry-leading controls and services and put them on their medical devices if they can, right? Or on their servers that support those medical devices, obviously with the FDA, their certification requirements. But I think that's where I sit today because where I've seen ransomware is on servers and endpoints. But what happens if we start seeing vulnerabilities that we know exist in medical devices today, that the medical devices have configuration vulnerabilities, and someone gets access to an environment and says, hey, I have access to 50% of your medical devices or all of your medical devices of a certain type that have a vulnerability. And I'm going to change the 
uh, and I'm not a medical professional, but I'm going to change the dosage of a medication mm -hmm. for 50% of them unless you give me $10 million. You have 24 hours to respond. You know, that, that could really cause harm to our patients, mm -hmm. clinical harm and, and impact patient safety. What do you do? Right. So it's not just about patching and patching and patching workstations and servers, but now we're looking at third party risk, vendor risk and medical devices. How are vendors connecting to our environment? Are they using MFA everywhere just as we mandate everywhere? Are they patching their medical devices just like we mandate our internal teams patch their systems? Are they ensuring that they have the latest controls and they're being monitored on their medical devices just like we do on all of our assets? Yeah. And if not, can we put it on there? So I would say that is a trend that I think um, we have heard um, from, from the U.S. government. This is not just me throwing out of you know, thin air, right? You know, you've heard the buzzword killware. Um, mm -hmm. we, we, you know, we've heard about the water supply in Florida that was tainted and they could, couldn't figure out why, but an engineer noticed that the levels of the certain um, configuration of the chemicals were changed and was able to override and stop it, but it could have poisoned the water supply, supposedly. Um, but you can just Google it and look up Florida water supply and, and hacker and you'll find it. Um, that's just one example of critical infrastructure being targeted with, you know, the buzzword killware. In the medical field, with how much patient safety depends on our ability to do our job safely, that is a big risk. So that is why we are really focused on ransomware, medical devices, and that threat as we continue to improve our maturity across our enterprise. It's not just about servers. It's not just about workstations, but it is also about IoT. And that includes medical IoT. Excellent. There's so many, you know, I, I want to be disciplined. I said a half hour and there's so many more questions I want to ask you, but I will not. I'm going to ask you one final question just to give your, your and I'll frame it up this way. Uh, a CISO uh, in healthcare, a comparably sized institution. Um, what's your best parting piece of advice or thought for them? Hey, um, you know, I want to leave you with this. Just what's your final thought? Be a partner. Um, don't, don't be a hammer. Don't be an auditor. Be a partner as a CISO. Support your business. Support your clinical teams. Support your operational teams. Support your technology partners. The more you support them, the more you assess risk appropriately, the more you ensure that they have what they need to be successful, the more you're going to be successful because they will ensure you have what you need. And when that critical risk comes along and you need to shut something down or you need to patch something urgently, they're going to be more supportive of you. So I think as a CISO, be collaborative. Don't silo yourself. Be a partner. Focus on business enablement. Yes, we have to follow regulations. Yes, we want to follow best practices. Yes, we want to do everything that we are required to do as leaders and executives, as a good security executive, you should do, but also be a good partner in support of your business, be collaborative, and that is how you will be successful. That's fantastic, Anthony. Um, I think people are really going to enjoy this. Uh, I appreciate your time today. No problem, Anthony. I had a great time. Thank you for having me. Mm -hmm.